Grab your Bibles and let's continue our study of the life of Gideon out of the book of Judges. We're almost finished. God, it looks like one more after the, this morning. Now, uh, as a public speaker, you were always told never to start with an apology. I'm about to break that rule. Um, I want to apologize for the length of my text this morning. I'm not apologizing for the text, but just for the length of it. But uh, I don't do this to you much, that is, read long passages. Um, I try to keep them brief. But it seemed to me that this was one unit of thought, and so it's uh, pretty long. So bear with me. Starting at verse 24 of chapter 7, we'll read all the way through verse 21 of chapter 8. You follow in your copies of God's Word. It reads like this. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Bethbara and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out and they captured the waters as far as Bethbara and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian and Oreb, the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. Then the men of Ephraim said to him, What is this that you have done to us? Not to call us when you went to fight against Midian. And they accused him fiercely. And he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Abiezer? God has given into your hands the princes of Midian, or Abizib. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger against him subsided when he said this. Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over. He he and the 300 men who were with him, exhausted, yet pursuing. So he said to the men of Succoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted. And I am pursuing after Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. And the officials of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna already in your hand, that we should give bread to your army? So Gideon said, Well then, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, I will flail your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and and with briars. And from there he went up to Penuel and spoke to them in in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered. And he said to the men of Penuel, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Now, Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkar, Karkor, with their army, about 15,000 men, all who were left of all the army of the people of the east, for there had fallen 120,000 men who drew the sword. And Gideon went up by the way of the tent dwellers east of Nobah and Jogbihah and attacked the army, for the army felt secure. And Zeba and Zalmunna fled, and he pursued them and captured the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna, and he threw all the army into panic. Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle by the ascent of Heris, and he captured a young man of Succoth and questioned him. And he wrote down for him the officials and elders of Succoth, 77 men. And he came to the men of Succoth and said, Behold, Zeba and Zalmunna, about whom you taunted me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna already in your hand, that we should give bread to your men who are exhausted? And he took the elders of the city, and he took thorns of the wilderness and briars with them, taught the men of Succoth a lesson. And he broke down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. Then he said to Zeba and Zalmunna, 
Where are the men whom you killed at Tabor? They answered, As you are, so were they. Every one of them resembled the son of a king. And he said, They were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had saved them alive, I would not kill you. So he said to Jether, his firstborn, Rise, Arise and kill them. But the young man did not draw his sword, for he was afraid, because he was still a young man. Then Ziba and Zalmunna said, Rise yourself and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and killed Ziba and Zalmunna, and he took the crescent ornaments that were on the necks of their camels. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this story, this endures forever. Folks, in dealing with the stories that are found in the Old Testament, one runs the risk of over-spiritualizing the text. Now, if you don't know what over-spiritualizing means, let me give you an example. Uh, I guess the classic example comes from the treatment of the book, The Song of Solomon. Have you ever read that in your Old Testaments before? Um, that book was and has been made into a story about Christ pursuing his bride, the church. Well, that's nice, but that's not what the book is about. The book of the Song of Solomon is a, is a celebration of the beauty and the purity of, of, of marital intimacy. Um, so you see, uh, if you try to overstate, you sometimes run into that, that, that uh, temptation and, and succumb. There's nothing wrong, folks, with learning practical wisdom from the Bible, uh, where you find so elegantly illustrated in the book of Proverbs, you find so much practical wisdom there. We don't um, have to always be looking for some kind of spiritual lesson. However, <laughs> um, this morning... I am, um, I am running the risk of over-spiritualizing this text. So let me say up front, this text is a story about war. It's a story about warfare. It also includes the many unforeseen distractions that Gideon had while he was trying to wage this war. It includes three different little stories that serve as distractions from Gideon accomplishing the real goal, which is to win the battle against the Midianites. That's what this story is about. And clearly, um, the application is that we are to persevere in battle. Did you notice that, that, that clause in verse 4, which I just think is enchanting? Exhausted, yet pursuing. And so this morning, I want to use that part of the story to describe some of you, maybe all of you, who are adequately portrayed with that clause. Exhausted, and yet pursuing. And then I want to 
show you some of the possible distractions to people who are serious about waging this warfare that we all find ourselves in as Christians. Our warfare is not like Gideon's. I'm not saying that. But our warfare is more of a spiritual battle. But there are applications, I think, in this story, I think for us, at least I hope so. Now, the call from this text is for us to finish the battle uh, in the midst of so many tangents that arise that will sap your strength such that the temptation is to say, I've had it. I, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I quit. I'm exhausted. I didn't sign on for this. Well, what is the this? That's what I want to show you. Those things that included in Gideon's battle that tend to undercut his focus in the main battle. Once the battle begins and the route is on, the story, as you might have noticed, fractures. It goes off into numerous directions because the unexpected happens. Um, you never know what the battle is going to include. Um, but because of those unexpected things, it seems like we're, it, it, we're unnecessarily fatigued by these things that should have never happened in the first place. You know, I can just imagine. I can only imagine what Gideon must have thought when somebody came to tell him that the Ephraimites were upset. Uh, General Gideon, I'm, I'm sorry to break this news to you, but the, uh, the, the Ephraimites, uh, they're, they're really upset. Well, well, what are they upset about, asked Gideon. Well, you see, they really got their feelings hurt. They got their feelings hurt. You got to be kidding me. Would someone please tell those fellows that we're in a battle here? What battle? Well, for Gideon, it's his battle with the Midianites. But for you and I, the battle is different. Um... But there are things that are included in our battle, I think, that sometimes distract us, just like Gideon was distracted. The biggest enemy that I have is my own sin, not to mention the world of flesh and the devil. Um, but in that battle, folks, it seems, seems to take us in various directions, like, like you see here in Gideon's experience. Um, and it's often those those unnecessary distractions that sap us worse than the other parts of the battle. So that's what I want to show you. Those unnecessary distractions that tend to make the battle far more complex. Here's the first one. It starts in verse 24 and goes through verse, or verse 3 of chapter 8. It has to do with this nonsense 
um, with the, the men from Ephraim. Folks, do you know who Ephraim is? Ephraim is one of the 12 tribes uh, of Israel. That is, they're supposedly on Gideon's side. They are supposed to be an ally of Gideon's. But they're pouting. And they're pouting because, I mean, why did you go to that battle without us? You know, uh, that really hurt our feelings. And, and, um, and besides... We want some of this glory too. And now that the route is on, there's going to be lots of spoil and we'd like to have some of that too. Distraction number one that comes from the insights, that comes from in a direction where I'm supposed to be getting support. Gang, um, I consider myself, probably wrongly, but I consider myself just a little bit of an aficionado of World War II. I've read numerous books about World War II and enjoy reading. I read Winston Churchill's six-volume set on World War II. It was really fun. <clears throat> but did you, um, I mean, maybe you know, maybe you know this already, but June 6, 1944 was a big day. It's when the, the, the whole war took a decisive turn in directions. When, when the Allied troops landed on the beaches of France and Normandy, um, D-Day it's called, you might remember. It's, uh, it's when the two fronts of the war opened up. So now we've got Russia in the east and the Allies in the west and Hitler in the middle. And so um, the Allies were held down there on the beaches of France for several days, maybe a couple of weeks. And then the third army under the leadership of George Patton, General George Patton, broke out. He wasn't the only one. Omar Bradley's 7th Army also broke out, and they both headed to Paris to liberate Paris. Big deal, to liberate Paris. So as Patton got closer and closer to Paris, he was given orders from Eisenhower. Eisenhower, as you know, became a president here. He was, the, he was the supreme commander of all the Allied troops. But Eisenhower was given a directive from Washington, D.C., which came through General Marshall. It came through Roosevelt, through General Marshall, to Eisenhower, to Patton. And Patton was told, slow down. Stand, uh, back off. Um, stop, whatever the exact order was, I'm, I'm not sure, but he was told to stand down. And do you know why? Here's the reason. Charles de Gaulle, General Charles de Gaulle, you ever heard that name? Well, if you've ever flown into Paris, the airport is named after him. But uh, uh, de Gaulle was the, the general or the head of the FFI, the Free French Army. And de Gaulle kicked up such a stink because when the troops finally entered France, or excuse me, Paris, General de Gaulle wanted to be out front as they marched through the Arc de Triomphe. So slow them down because we've got a prima donna on our hands who wants to be out in front when all the cameras are rolling. 
as if this battle isn't hard enough already. And, and, and I've got to deal with the bruised egos of the French. Yeah. They're supposed to be on my side. Just like Ephraim. And folks, in a masterpiece of diplomacy, Gideon avoids civil war. When I'm supposed to be battling the Midianites, I got to put out fires from within. As if my battle against sin weren't enough. Why? I have to worship alongside people who don't agree with me over baptism or the second coming. <laughs> Folks, you, you think I make light, and I do. But I know of stories. I'll tell you a couple. First of all, over the second coming. I know this, it didn't happen to me, a friend of mine. But a friend of mine who was a pastor was fired from his job because of lies that were told about him. And part of the, uh, the, the, the opponents of his were, a well, one of them was a staff member. And he, they ultimately won, and this man was fired. Years later, this man who had lied about him came to my friend and, said, and sought his forgiveness. And said, I want you to forgive me for lying about you. And so my friend said to this man, Bill, that's not his name, but he said, Bill, um, okay, well, but uh, why, did you, why, did you, why did you lie about me? And he said, well, I didn't like your views of the second coming. And I thought I knew more about that than you did. A man lost his job over differing views on the second coming. How about this one? <clears throat> you know my, two of my heroes are John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul. The two of them have different views on baptism. You know that? Well, they made a video years ago um, where they were dis debating their two sides on the baptism issue. And the, the thing that I noted from the, from the video, some, some of you may have seen it, um, is that they were, they were fraternal, they were, they were laughing, they were poking fun at each other, they were jousting, they were just having a ball. And you walked away thinking, well, you know, I wish we could all laugh. But you know what? When people disagree with me on baptism, they don't seem to be quite as convivial. As if the battle against sin is not hard enough that I got to expect some bruised egos from the Ephraimites, of all things. Would somebody tell the Ephraimites there's a battle to be fought? And don't make it any more complex than it already is. That's the first distraction that Gideon had to deal with. Here's the second one. It starts in verse 4 and goes to about verse 18. It has to do with the people of Succoth and Penuel. Now, folks, <clears throat> excuse me. Succoth and Penuel were two cities in the tribe of Gad. 
Do you remember when Joshua was leading the, uh, the nation of Israel up to the promised land? And they were going to cross the Jordan into the promised land. There were two and a half tribes that came to Joshua and said, listen, we'd like to stay over here on the east side of the Jordan. It was Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. So they stayed on the east side because it was better for their cows or whatever. They stayed over on the east side of the Jordan. So they got overrun by the Midianites long before the other, side, other guys did on the west side of the Jordan. So they were originally parts of Israel, but they're not now. They're kind of half and half, you know, kind of, kind of in the middle, they're kind of half Jew, half Israelite, but half, you know, these guys too. Um, so here comes Gideon and his army. And we have been fighting these Midianites and we are exhausted and yet pursuing hey um, could you guys you know who are supposed to be somewhat friendly towards us I mean could you um, could you give us a little bread nope no we can't do that what we can't give you any bread because we don't know who won yet. We want to figure out who's going to win. And then we'll get on their side. Uh, folks, back to World War II. Did you know that Hungary tried to switch sides in World War II? Did you know that? Back in the 1940, 41, 42, when Hitler was rolling, we're with him. And Hungary lost tens of thousands of soldiers in Stalingrad. Um, but then the tide changed. And so they wanted to switch sides. And Hitler ultimately had to send an army to invade his ally to keep them from switching sides. You know, as if the world didn't want to gobble me up already and get me to adopt all its values with, uh, you know, pro-choice and, and uh, kindness to the transgender who want to uh, participate in the Olympics, as if the world didn't want to gobble me up in the first place, I go to a place and I gather alongside other people where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And the 20% looks at the 80% and said, hey, um, uh, could y'all help a little? And they say, nope. Nope. Folks, by the way, you know that's called the Pareto Principle. Um, a major American industry knows about the 2080 rule. You've heard of that before. Well, it exists in the church too. And so here I, we are fighting our own sin. Could, could you help? Uh-uh. No, no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not motivated here by principle. It's just by self-interest. And soon as I figure out who the winner is, that's when I'll jump on a, on a side. But I'm tired and I've been fighting for a long time. Could you people at Sukkoth just give us some bread? Mm -mm. No, can't do it. So the battle is made more difficult by people who were at least visibly supposed to be on the same team. 
And then there's one, the, a third final distraction in this whole story. And it comes, it starts in verse 20, and it comes <laughs> from inside Gideon's own family. His firstborn, his son, hey, hey, go, go take, no, I'm not going to do that. So my battle, there's mom and dad trying to deal with their own complex lives and and then they find out that their battle is made so much harder by their own kids this is exhausting um i'm throwing in the towel here i you know i um i'm not i'm not I, i'm exhausted and i'm not gonna pursue <laughs> i've had enough of that pursuing and i'm just i'm i'm, I'm worn out here and um I couldn't get any help from the other 80%, and now my own family is. And so the battle against a world that doesn't agree with much we hold to hold dear gets made harder by people on the inside, by people on the half of the inside, and my own family. So the constant temptation is just, I quit. You know, folks, um, just to make sure you know I didn't make that up, the Bible recognizes the temptation that so many of us face. And so on numerous occasions, it tries to speak to us about our own fatigue. Listen to this. This is one in Isaiah 40. Um, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall feel it, fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. Did you notice that in that text it said even youths? That is even the young. And, and I say to you folks, this battle that we're in, that we're all in, this battle... Um, it will include thousands of combinations that we never saw coming where these words might be the words that you need to hear in the base of your soul. Here's another one. This is in Galatians 6. He says, um, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So, to you, to some of you um, who are tired, discouraged, to the exhausted, the story tells us keep pursuing. I can't eliminate the causes of your fatigue. But the point of this part of the story is, in the midst of your fatigue, keep pursuing. These 300 people who made up Gideon's army, these 300 fools, they can be our heroes, our models. And all those distractions that Gideon never saw coming, 
We can look at those distractions and we can say, you know what? Those are just part of the battle. I wish they weren't. I wish I didn't have to deal with that or that or that. But they're just a part of the battle. Gideon had to deal with his share. And let me give you another piece of advice. My fellow fatigued brethren, don't neglect your church. And I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about your involvement. You need these people, folks. You need to know that though the enemy has an army of 135,000 and our army is only 300 and they seem to control the media and, and academia and government, you need to know that there are at least 299 other fools who believe the same things you do. Do not neglect the gathering of God's people. So if and when you put your kids' sports programs in the place of your church, don't be surprised that you're overcome with exhaustion and the battle overwhelms you and you quit and disappear. My dear ones, to neglect your soul is just inviting exhaustion or something perhaps even worse. I'm so discouraged I think I'll go out and have an affair. Folks, the world will drain us dry. And physical fatigue has a way of generating moral weakness. And know this as well. When God leads you into something, that something will not be pain-free. He never promised us that. He said, by much tribulation, you'll enter the kingdom. You know, and I hear Christians who say this, um, the safest place in all the world to be is at the center of God's will. That is not true. The best place to be is in the center of God's will, but it's not necessarily the safest. And then one other, one other thing that I want you to see, and if you've got your Bibles open, I'd love for you to turn here. It's in Mark chapter 13. And this statement kind of ups the ante. It's a statement on the part of Jesus in Mark 13, verse 13. Mark 13, 13, he says, last sentence, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Who, who, who does he describe as being saved? The exhausted who keep pursuing. 
Guys, if you do give it up, the battle that is, it just may mean that you were never a part of Gideon's army in the first place. All 300 of Gideon's army, they fought to the end. There were so very few of them up against so very many of them. But the 300 won. Look back at your victories, the past victories, and then get back in the battle. And fix your eyes on the general. Folks, to stand for Jesus Christ for a month is a simple matter. To stand for Jesus Christ for a lifetime That is the test of reality. To some of you, let me say this. You're on the wrong side. And you, like those Hungarians, you need to change teams. You need to get off that side that's going to lose. And you need to get on the side that is headed up by a general that will never lose. You need to switch sides. Now. And if you don't belong to Christ, tell me. To whom do you belong? We Christians, we may be exhausted, we may be distracted, but we win. Our Father, would you remind your people that this battle that we're in is full of surprises. Some of those surprises we wish we didn't get. Some of those surprises we wish weren't a part of the battle, but they are. And so would you show us these 300 men and in the midst of their exhaustion and in their midst of their mistreatment, they're still pursuing. Give us a church full of those folks, Lord, who know that the battle is complex and intricate and, and the odds are bad. And yet, what we're, we're told is they, that small army against the mammoth army is the one who wins. So, Lord, encourage and refresh your people. And also, Lord, if you have brought people in here this morning who have never met this Savior, this great general of ours, the New Testament Gideon, the Lord Jesus, if they have not met him, would you open their eyes to see the great beauty of our, of our Savior and our exemplar and then put them too alongside us in this battle, the one that will lead to an ultimate eternal victory. Do that, O oh God, for Jesus' sake. In his name we pray.
Amen.